From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Justin Dyke. He is a prolific director whose latest film, Anything for Jackson, is now streaming on Shudder. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. We're yeah. so pumped to talk to you. Um, but before we start talking about anything for Jackson, um, how did you get into horror? Um, how did I get into horror? I think I've just been into movies forever. And, okay. uh, and horror is, is one of movies. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, you know, as, as the theme of the podcast suggests, I, I got scared when I was a kid and I enjoyed it. Um, and I just kept going back for more. Um, so yeah, just started early on loving movies. My uh, my dad was really into films, so we cool. would you know go to the theater. Or I was a VHS kid. We'd oh, uh, yeah. you know we we get the hundred pack from the local video store. So I would just you know go in. They would know me by name and just tick off one because we already prepaid for a hundred rentals. Oh yeah, um, so, <laughs> so cool. Come home with stacks every week, and uh, I would just watch everything I could get my hands on. So. Um, yeah, horror is one of those, but I, I uh, enjoyed so many genres uh, growing up, um, and I continue to love. You know, I don't. I never. I don't really say I have a favorite genre. I just love good movies. So yeah. yeah. Did your dad like horror too? Would did he watch those with you? He would. Yes, but it was uh, it was very specific. Um, the first horror movie I saw was um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Oh, okay. Um, I that's saw my personal a, favorite. <laughs> yeah, I saw it at a sleepover, um, which I probably wasn't supposed to be watching. Um, <laughs> How old and, were you? Uh, I don't know. Definitely under 10. Okay. I don't know specifically, though. So uh, that I found crazy. I remember trying to pretend I was tough and say, well, that's oh, funny. Yeah. That's not scary. This is funny. I'm not scared. <laughs> you guys are scared. <laughs> 
uh, it definitely scared me. And uh, then, you know, my parents found out and they're like, oh, we don't really want you watching that stuff. And then, you know, my dad took me aside. He's like, yeah, that's all gory and scary. You want to really be scared? I'll show you something to be scared at. And then he pulled out all his favorite horror movies, which was more like the psychological thriller type stuff. So, oh, yeah. Um, like he showed me Play Misty for me, he pulled out all the Hitchcock stuff, The Bird, Psycho. Oh, my um, God. And, <laughs> Your dad yeah. was like, no, no, no. We're going to go hard into the horror. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it was, I think it was the gore <laughs> they were opposed to. They didn't like the blood and guts on the screen. Yeah. So, oh. like, we're going to. I'm going to show you something that like terrifies you to the soul instead of <laughs> instead of <gasps> just be uncomfortable with blood. So, what were a few of your favorite horror favorites growing up? I know you said you had a you know you loved all film, but you know, do you have a couple favorites that you loved watching when you were a kid? Yeah. Um, oh, Silence of the Lambs! I know shook me the first time I saw that. That blew my mind. It still scares me. It's so incredible. Um, it is an incredible I, film that will continue. I've seen it so many times at this point, but it continues to get under my skin no matter yeah. how many times I watch it. I'll, I'll still revisit every iteration of Hannibal Lecter from the series to the other movies. Oh, yeah. Just just to get a, a glimpse of what Silence of the Lambs was. You know, th there's a lot of them that are good, but none of them are, are Silence of the Lambs. So. Did you watch the Hannibal series on NBC? I did, yes. And I liked it a lot. Um, Ugh, I loved it so much. Yeah, still can't live up quite to silence, but it was well, uh, it was an incredible know. series for sure. Um, so transitioning into being being an adult, what um what draws you to horror now? Um, I don't know. It's just, the same thing as being a kid, I guess. Yeah. It's just it's the you know it's the anti Hollywood. It uh, we're you know the most films want to tap into something you aspire to where horror is just the, the polar opposite of that and uh you know wants to show you the the dark side of humanity and um they can they can deal with themes that that other genres can't uh they can make you think they can deal with death and grief and so many emotions that uh you know just they can do it in a fun way i guess there's still mm, that mm -hmm. that rush of being scared but you know being safe in your in your seat yeah so, yeah i don't know i don't think i have a, a really incredible answer for that same thing draws anyone to horror it's just a lot of fun to watch yeah <laughs> yeah so do, do you like the more fun kind of horror um or like because like we we've seen like it seems like uh recently we've we've kind of had a trend of of more of the like deep psychological or like the what what some people call elevated or people call like which i hate but like people call like just sort of the the kind of slow burn creeping dread or, or are you more a fan of the the more fun type horror movies or do you like them all yeah i, I like them all it's uh it really is it's just it's got to be good so i love oh. there's some fun ones that i love um i think i probably do lean towards the the darker creepier ones yeah um like um yeah one of my favorites is uh, uh martyrs Oh my god! Yes. So, and martyrs typically wouldn't be my style because you know a lot of people equate that to torture porn, and I don't like torture porn. But martyrs, just the story behind it and the journey it takes you on is so incredible. That well, and like I, I love new French extremity films, and I feel like they they're like similar to torture porn, but I feel like they exist outside of it because I feel like they have much better stories right. and gore supplements those stories instead of in torture porn films. It feels like the gore is the centerpiece. Totally. I also have like a poster of martyrs like, sitting in front of me right now. So, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my, whatever. My, my Netflix uh, algorithm gets very confused by me. They're like, you watch this movie. Do you want to watch that one? I said, no, you don't understand me at all. I don't want to watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> And so did you do you remember the last film that scared you or reminded you of what it was like watching horror movies as a kid? Oh, great question. <laughs> um, probably hereditary. Mm. That is so <laughs> funny. Like the last the like four favorite. guests have said hereditary and it's so <laughs> interesting. But it it it's, it's it true. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That movie fucked me up, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, like, obviously, they they played it straight as an arrow, and the performances in that, I just think it's so, mm. yeah, they had some great new scares. Um, 
And it was, uh, yeah, it, it takes a lot, you know, working in film, it takes a lot to, uh, for me to completely lose myself anymore. I'm always like yeah. thinking like, oh, that was great. How'd they do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that one, I just, I lost myself for quite a while. So I love that about when, when you find a movie that does that, where it just sort of like, cause I, I'm the same way. Like I, I went to school to be an English major. I, whenever I sit down to watch something or read something, um, I am always um, I, I can't turn my brain off a lot of times. And so I'm always like thinking about the themes or I'm always thinking about dissecting like what's going on. But when I can find a movie that like just shuts me down and I'm like immediately wrapped, then I know this is this is a keeper. And Hereditary did that to me, too. So I yeah, yeah. I completely understand. Well, you know what? Um, uh, host. That, oh, that, uh, yeah. Zoom movie, that was also a really scary one. I that think. scared. Oh, my God. I and sorry. I love found footage, and everyone knows this. You just like, made a fan of for life. For I was going to say you some martyrs and found footage right there. <laughs> but host really absolutely scared the shit out of me in a way that I wasn't expecting, and I think it's also amazing. It's just a testament to creativity during this ridiculously shitty time. Totally, and like being able to make such amazing narratives even with you know limited resources. Yeah, I, there's something about well done found footage that. Uh, that is just hard to compete with in terms of scariness. Right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You've made a fan for life with me. Um, but so transitioning into talking about your creative life. So before we talk about anything for Jackson, we need to discuss your previous filmography of sure. Christmas movies. Yeah. Uh -huh. Tell us how that happened. I have no idea. I blacked out. <laughs> Your entire filmography has been one big blackout. Um, well, I, uh, you know, like every struggling director, just trying to figure out how to navigate this crazy business. I, I live up in Canada. I'm, I don't even live right in the city of Toronto. I'm outside of Toronto. So, um, you know, no, no connections to the film industry. I just fell in love with cameras and stuff as a kid. Um, so it was, yeah, just always trying to figure that out. So eventually, you know, I make my way up. I'm working as a cinematographer. I'm directing music videos and things like that. Um, and uh, I work as an editor as well. So I find this fantastic company. They're just starting up in there. Uh, they hire me as a cinematographer to shoot this, like, kids project for, like, five-minute kids shows on TV. Um, so I shoot that. I post that. And then I start working with these people. And they're fantastic. And, like, hey, I've been trying to get a horror movie off the ground. Um, you know, partly because of my love of horror, but also it's a very logical step for a first time feature. You, you know, that's a great genre to work in, um, because you could do it with, you know, five kids in a forest. Um, right. So I wanted to make a horror movie. So I said, you know, Hey, can you finance one? Um, so the, the producer very kindly said, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. So she goes off to uh, MIPCOM or one of the shows comes back and they are great news. I got film financing, but We've got to do this movie about a monkey who plays soccer first. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, well, that's uh, that's different." Um, but hey, I don't I don't have a uh, I don't have a movie under my belt, so let's let's do it. Let's make a movie about a monkey. Um, and advice to anyone listening: don't work with monkeys. Um, oh, no. They're awful little creatures. This one weighed maybe fifteen pounds, and he destroyed everything. They're oh just, no. Yeah, they're just jerks. They like being jerks. Oh, I'm looking at the poster right now, and it looks like a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> he does. But, you know, and they always say, like, don't work with animals and kids. And I'm looking at this poster, and, it, and it's, it's both. I'm sure the kids were fine, but, man, I can't imagine. Oh, is that the poster with the lion on it? No, it's no. just the two, it's this monkey in the middle, two kids, and then the monkey in the middle sitting on sitting top on a, of soccer a balls. Of soccer balls. Oh, Okay. Uh, I got to pull that up. Here, I'll, I'll put it in, in the cast chat. It shows oh, up on the, on the oh, left. Oh, yeah, that is the real monkey. If you look real close, you see his eyes are two different sizes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so when they released it on Netflix, they renamed it as It's a Zoo in Here. And there's a lion on the poster and, like, an orangutan. Oh, and wow. Oh, interesting. Are, are, are they in, in the movie? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love that. Um, so, yeah, I did that movie, and then uh, it went well enough. So I got another one, and we made a movie called My Dad is Scrooge. Um, and that one was actually the uh, – I worked with Keith Cooper, uh, the writer of Anything for Jackson. He wrote that one. Um, oh, cool. And that one I still stand by. It's a great, fun kids movie that was made for, like, $25. 
Um, hey, it's, it's love bunch, that. It's about a bunch of kids who uh, need to save a farm. Uh, their dad is a foreclosing for the bank. Um, and a bunch of talking farm animals show up at their house and ask them to help. So it's uh, it's ridiculous, but and had absolutely no money. But I still think it was a fun movie. Um, that sounds lovely. <laughs> Anything with talking animals, I feel like is is upped in my book. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We got like John Heater's a voice in that. We got Charles Shaughnessy. It was oh uh, wow, yeah, it was, it was a fun movie. So, um, but yeah, after that, it just snowballed and. It's an extremely prolific company I, I partnered up with to make these. And they just kept bringing movies in. And yeah. uh, the, these kids and family stuff turned into Christmas. Uh, it was kind of right as Hallmark was exploding. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, every every network wanted their version of the Hallmark film. So we started making those. And, uh, yeah, I think my record is like nine in one year. I was going to say, I'm looking at your filmography and the amount, like 2019, a ton, 2018, 2017. It's like, it's amazing how many films yeah. you're able to make and how like <laughs> extensive your filmography is. Yeah, they're, and I, you know, they're not my first choice from an artistic standpoint, We're but we're making entertainment. We're yeah. producing a product that these broadcasters want and there's a huge fan base for. Um, oh, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I definitely got to hone my skills on those movies. Well, um, you know, I mean, we've we've talked um, with Michael Verratti, um, who is a writer and he's he's a horror writer, but he does. He has written um, a number of Christmas movies mm -hmm. and even like David Dakota directs a lot of Christmas movies. So, like, I, there seems to be like I, I think because it, it can be. Um, you know, a prolific job that you can you can have steady work so that you can actually work on maybe passion projects in between. It, it seems like that seems to be a trend that we've seen in a lot of um, a lot of horror creators. I think it's just a trend everywhere. Someone told me a couple of days ago that HBO is getting into these, you know, feel good Christmas movies now. Yeah. And it's because Hulu did happiest season. And then, well, I mean, that's just my theory. And I feel like maybe that's like also convincing people that yeah. we should do more holiday they're just, movies. They're just so popular and they're they're relatively easy to make um you know they're it's a it's a formula plot line that you follow i was gonna say and, they're relatively formulaic yes yes um and yeah you just stick pretty people in front of sparkly lights and make them talk about christmas <laughs> hey so, love that what's not formulaic <laughs> how's that for a seg segue can we nice, talk well about well can done. you tell the listeners a little bit about anything for jackson and, and kind of what what the it, what it is about for those that maybe don't know yeah, Anything for Jackson is about Audrey and Henry, um, a, a loving couple who lost their grandson in a car accident recently. Um, and they have, through uh, lots of sadness and research, discovered there might be a way of getting their beloved grandson, Jackson, back. Um, and that is through a reverse exorcism. So they decide to kidnap a pregnant woman um, and keep her in their house until they can perform this reverse exorcism putting the soul of their grandson back into her unborn child. And then when the child is born, they'll have their Jackson back. Pretty simple. You know, casual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a, a wild plot, but what I love about it is how it starts off as this almost kind of darkly surreal comedy um, with, especially with the, the two main act actors, Sheila and Julian. Mm -hmm. They just... I love them and I wanted them to succeed <laughs> and as they're doing I these know. like most horrible things because they're such likable actors. They, yeah, they are, they're likable actors, they're likable people. Um, they just, yeah, they knocked this one out of the park. They were such a pleasure to work with. Um, but yeah, you're right. They're just, they're very normal people driven to extremes. So, And I love that you cast like two older actors I know there's a lot of discussion about like how people cast a lot of younger people for older roles and it was just really refreshing to see two actors who were the like age appropriate playing these playing these characters and doing it so beautifully to the point where you feel so much empathy for them again even though they're you know doing some you know dark magic in their in their home <laughs> like they're just so sweet and they love each other so much <laughs> they do they absolutely do yeah no I I spent a lot of time uh, casting people based on their commercial viability. So um, when we finally found the financing for this, it was uh, we just had to go for it. And we said we need the absolute best actors for this role. I don't care what they, you know, what test audiences want to say. Not that we <laughs> got into any of that with this movie, um, <laughs> but it, it wasn't about 
commercial decisions at that point. It was we just had to tell the story and make it feel real. You mentioned it's you know it plays a little bit as a comedy. Um, we like I found it funny, but really it was about realism. We just wanted yeah. us to feel like your neighbors, and you know they're not going to be talking about heavily dramatic things forever. They're just they're just having breakfast and trying to keep right. their mind off of this thing they've been planning for years. Well, and I think that might be kind of like the the surrealness of it is that like these these do feel like the next door neighbors and yet they are they're Satanists and yet they're trying to (laughs) put their grandson into the body of of an unborn child. And it's like my favorite moment in the moment that like I I messaged Mary Beth was like, okay, I love this movie was when um, Sheila's character is sitting there reading the printed out. Uh, like lines of what she's going to tell the the poor kidnapped woman and she is just like going through it and she's like oh I got to get my glasses glasses on she's waiting for her husband because she's getting far ahead in the script like that moment of it just it felt so like real and yet so surreal given what was going on at the time awesome yeah well that was that was the goal for sure how did you come up with this idea for anything for Jackson uh, well, uh, Keith Cooper and I have been working together for a very long time and, mm-hmm. uh, been trying to get a horror movie off the ground for the first, for our, our first time. Um, so we, yeah, we had, we had a bunch of ideas, a bunch of been taken to script. Um, and we've been around pitching to anyone who will listen. Um, <laughs> so we pitched and it, uh, you know, one went well and they said, yeah, what do you have in the more, um, you know, we like, you know, like the ghost movie space or the, the more, um, anyways, ghost movie space. Uh, and we said, oh yeah, we've got, we've got a few of those. Let us, uh, let us get it together and we'll send you the one pages when we get home. So we, uh, we hop in the car and head home. We're like, all right, we've got to come up with some pitches. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we just, we went through, we said, all right, ghost movie, what are the subgenres? We looked through them and we just wanted to put it on its head. We said, all right, exorcism, that's very popular, but it's been so many people have done exorcism films. What's a fresh take on it? Like, well, what's, what's the complete opposite of an exorcism? And, uh, you know, you can debate whether since it's not a evil spirit, it's just the, a ghost of a grandson, whether it's officially a reverse exorcism or not. Um, but that's where the idea came from. Um, which is what, what would, why would someone want to put a spirit in instead of take one out? Um, and I think originally it was supposed to be two parents, um, but going on that theme of we have to find the new fresh take on this, we just kept spinning it until, uh, you know, as many decisions as we could make would be the opposite of what you expect. Wow. So the ef- the effects and the, mm. the creatures and everything in this movie are so good and very alarming in a good way. Um, <laughs> so what was it like? I mean, you know, you obviously worked with special effects artists and costume artists, but what was it like kind of that process of creating these very intense death scenes and these very intense, you know, creatures? Oh, it was it was great. We um, we teamed up with uh, Carly Morse, who uh, I actually met her on some Christmas movies we did together. Um, but I knew she was fantastic at um, practical effects and prosthetics and all those things. So. We talked to her. Uh, she was supposed to be, I don't know where she was going, up in the Yukon Territories or something for some job. But uh, she said, no, it's okay. I'll build all the ghosts for you. And then uh, I'll just send someone from my team to uh, to apply it because she just she loved the project and wanted to be involved. Um, so as luck would have it, her other shoot got pushed. So she was able to come out uh, for us and, and make all the ghosts in person. And, uh, yeah, she just... We had a lot of back and forth sending her ideas and, you know, finding things and Pinterest boards and all those things. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we just found what, uh, how are we going to make them all as, as scary as possible? And she, she built them all and applied them all. And she just absolutely crushed it. She succeeded. She, she, <laughs> yeah. she certainly did because one of my recurring nightmares that I had in like, um, I would say through from from like late high school into my my early to mid twenties was losing my teeth and them just falling out. So Ooh. there is an image in here that like 
is just so haunting because it's like it, it reminds me of my dreams of like waking up and all my teeth just start to slowly fall out. And that image in there, I'm like, this is horrific as fuck. And I think that what, what works so well about it is the fact that it does start in such a natural, as you said, and also sort of like a, a darkly comedic point that by the time it gets to the horror, you're it's almost like it disarms you that you're 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 not expecting it to do much. And then it just goes there. <laughs> yeah, well, that uh, you hit the nail on the head there. So this I've got to tip my hat to Keith um for writing it he he tapped into dream analysis for all of the ghosts oh so, well, there you go <laughs> the, char- the character that gets haunted by each of those ghosts um is specifically chosen for the situation they're in so henry being our the more logical character he's he's less driven by emotion um and more trying to figure this out for his wife for whom he will do anything um he at that point he is losing control the the plan is no longer uh, in place so those, that feeling of losing control, you'll typically dream of, of your teeth falling out. So um, financial troubles, I think, is another part of that dream. So maybe those were the those were your feelings back in your 20s. And then with uh, Becker, of course, a little more on the nose, feeling of being trapped. So you're going to feel mm. like you're suffocating. So that's where mm. our suffocating ghost came from. Um, that um, was the most terrifying. <laughs> so good, but also just like... Ugh. <laughs> Like the, it's very uncanny movement and very just. Ooh. How, was that was that all performance or or was it enhanced in any way? No, no enhancement whatsoever. That is oh, the genius, Troy James. Bendable. Yeah. So he, we have a. There's an amusement park here called Canada's Wonderland, um, and I went there when they have this Halloween thing every year. So I went there when I was like 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember seeing Troy there just dressed up as like a zombie. And I saw him like chasing people around upside down and backwards. Oh, wow. And oh, my God. I, my friends, I was like, we got to stop and watch this guy. He's doing crazy things. So, yeah, fast forward to making this movie many years later. Um, and I talked to my friend who's, who's helping us cast this movie, Rebecca LaMarche. Uh, and I said, Rebecca, I found this guy. I, go- I was Googling like, you know, Halloween haunt at Canada's Wonderland and looking for people with home video. And sure enough, found him, found his name. Um, and Rebecca's like, yeah, let me, let me look into him. Uh, turns out he had just come off a Guillermo del Toro movie. Oh, James shit. Corden, like, I don't know, two weeks prior. I'm like, oh, shoot, we missed him. Uh, I guess I shouldn't wait 15, 20 years before reaching out to somebody. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so, all right, fine. Well, you know, but I, I love this idea so much. we got to find a contortionist. So we go looking for one. We find one. She's phenomenal. We offer her the part. She responds, sorry, I can't make it. I'm, I'm out of town uh, for the shoot. But I have, I have a friend who I perform with. His name's Troy James. Oh, my God. I'm like, okay. So it puts Troy in touch. And he's just like, yeah, cool. I'll do this. And he's just like the nicest, least scary person you'll ever meet. And we end up getting him just because he liked the project. Uh, so he came out, he even brought his own contact lenses cause we couldn't afford those. Oh <laughs> my God. And, uh, and yeah, he came out and just made the movie so good. Oh, he was the jangly man in scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. He's, he's in a bunch of, he's the, uh, he's the old woman in Hellboy. Um, oh shit. He was, he's in the new, uh, Blumhouse Amazon, uh, what's it called? Black box. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Dang. It's, yeah, if you ever see someone walking upside down with their heads on right side up, it's probably Troy. That's amazing. <laughs> also, just really quick, I love that a lot of the people that you worked with for this movie come from Christmas movies. Mm, that yeah. makes me very happy. <laughs> it is so cool. Like it's so versatile and just, you know, it's cool to see that. Yeah, well, you know, a little industry secret. People making Christmas movies, they're they're not necessarily in it for the love. Um yeah. they're all just filmmakers all trying to make great things and uh you know, I think, you know, even all the way up to the, the biggest stuff, right? Like people working on Avengers still have a love of independent, more out there cinema. So, um, you know, Christmas movies are a commercial product and people there like making really creative stuff too. So, um, yeah, I was lucky to be able to reach out to some actors. We, we certainly couldn't typically afford for this but like lynette ware who played detective bellows i was just um, gonna say i saw her this year in girl and yeah. she was that was like i think the first movie i've seen her in and she was phenomenal in that so i was like i saw her pop up in this and i was like oh my gosh is that yep it is the <laughs> it is the actress from girl yeah yeah she's been she's been in a few of my christmas projects but lynette can do anything she jumps back and forth like she's in a bunch of 
you know, pretty significant shows right now. She, I think she was in like Shaft back in the day. And mm-hmm. So she's, uh, yeah, she can do anything. Um, and uh, just a good friend. So she was very kind to come out for us. Um, Caitlin Lieb from Slasher. She came out and played Yolanda. Oh, yeah. Just come out for a couple days to help us out. Um, so yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to reach out to my friends from the Christmas world and have them uh, so eager to help us make this more than we could afford. That's so cool. And do you, do you think you're going to keep making horror movies? Absolutely. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a lot easier now that I have one done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, um, I, I don't know which one it's going to be yet, but we have a few ideas and a few scripts, Keith and I together and, uh, we're, uh, yeah, fine. The ball's starting to roll again, so we're taking good. meetings, and uh, we'll we'll find out what's next. Uh, hopefully soon. That's awesome. Good, good, good. So, what film are we talking about today, <laughs> Justin? Today we're talking about the Princess Bride. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yes. <laughs> um, so, if you are unfamiliar with the Princess Bride, I'm so sorry, but also here's a quick synopsis. Um, while homesick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited reunited with his true love. So before we <laughs> actually before we get to asking you about about your childhood trauma about this, I have to say watching this, the opening of this in in the current quarantine situation we are in was like so wild because I'm like, where's your mask? Why aren't you wearing masks? <laughs> Everyone is like touching each other. You're sick. You have COVID. Why isn't anyone like that? That was my immediate reaction to watching it this time. It's very touchy so- that's so sad (laughs) but i agree i was watching a movie last night and i was like everyone's very close to each other and they're not wearing masks i'm like this is really (laughs) terrible um but anyway (laughs) so um tell us about this movie and why you picked it paint us a picture when you first saw it why did it scare you so much like just tell us all about it it's your horror story i I picked it because i watched this movie on repeat for Mm. probably a decade of my life um, me too oh same i, just, I wore the vhs it was uh it was one of two vhs movies that my grandparents owned so when we went to visit them i would watch this and then crocodile dundee and then oh. back to this oh my god um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so yeah it just it had a profound effect on me and i've had many a nightmare over the years where that woman is yelling boo at boo. me Ooh, <laughs> yes um and then uh yeah, there's just so many parts in it that it's, I think I loved the adventure and how much fun it was. And then I just sort of put up with the scary parts, but I still remember very clearly covering my eyes and trying to turn away from not even necessarily the parts they're trying to make scary. Like when the, uh, when the guys in the, in the dungeon or what's it called? The, um, the pit, pit of, of despair. The pit of despair. The pit of despair. When he's patting down the wound on his shoulder. And to go back now, like it's they don't even have a fake wound. It's just a little bit of red. But yeah. the way he patted it down with that sponge, I was just like so disgusted and yes. so disturbed. Um, and the R.O.U.S.s, of course, are really scary. And um, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of parts in that movie that uh, I, I just remember having a lot of dreams about it. Um, but it wouldn't stop me from watching it. I had, I had to go back and see it again. Do you, do you remember uh, the first time you saw it, like d- sitting down? Was it was it with your grandparents or was it at your house or how? No, I think I was too young. Um, yeah. I was. Uh, I don't, I wonder if I would have watched it with somebody or may, it may have been at my grandparents first when I watched it, which would have been just like, you know, I was probably being annoying and they sent me into the room to watch a movie. <laughs> um, so no, for for whatever reason, I remember watching this one alone most of the time. Um, and I would watch with my sister and then, uh, as I got older, I would like watch with people or, you know, show people who hadn't seen it. But, uh, no, it's, it's funny. I I don't even remember a time before seeing it. That's how I was going to say, it kind (laughs) of sounds like this has been like ingrained in you from the very beginning of of like memories. (laughs) Definitely is. Yeah, that's that's kind of the same way with me, because uh, this movie, it came out in 19, what, 87? Yeah, 1987. So I would have been six when it came out. Um, yeah, and so I probably too. was me like, too. 
I was probably like seven. I, cause I, it would have been, I didn't see this obviously in the theater. It would have been when it came out on VHS or, or beta tape. I don't, was beta yeah. still a thing at 87? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like it was, it was, so it must've been like maybe one or two years later. Cause I can't remember how long it took for, for uh, it to come out on, on video back then. But I don't remember life before this movie. It, it's, it's such a, it's such a weird experience to, to think about that. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, I, I recently showed it to my own kids, um, and, uh, started, you know, started going through it. I'm giving them warnings as parts are coming. Like, all right, now this part's scary, but just remember it's pretend blah, blah, blah. They don't care at all. They're, <laughs> they're, I don't know. I guess that like, they liked it. Thank goodness. But, uh, the parts that were scary, like that, that's not scary. And they're, uh, <laughs> my son is five. So he's younger than I was when I first saw it. But he's just like, yeah, it's fine. So I guess all these like 3D animated epic battles between dragons have just uh, made them a little less sensitive. <laughs> I wonder if like I feel like the as I kept watching this movie, like more I understood the humor, like especially with Vizini. <laughs> Oh my god, Vizzini. Um, Wallace Shawn is such an amazing actor. I feel like he's in so much, th- so many things, and I never remember his name. Like he's one of those, but he is just like the jokes he says in this film. Like Terry wrote down, "You hippopotamic land, ma- hippopotamic <laughs> landmass," and him screaming, "Inconceivable!" He's just so funny, and I think I thought he was funny because of his the way he spoke when I was a kid. But I think the older I get, the more I appreciate how he was written as a character. I think that's part of the magic of this movie is that you can watch it when you're five, love it, and then watch it a year later and there's two new jokes for you. And then a year later there's three more jokes for you. And they just, they never stop. I think, I'm sure when I'm 80, I'll watch it again. I'm like, oh, I get that. I, that's kind of been, was my experience watching it now. Cause it, it has been a very long time since I've seen this movie. Um, but like, I was I was watching it and I was picking up a lot of the the dry humor, especially that Inigo would say, like the the moments where <laughs> they're being chased on on the ocean by by Wesley, and he just makes a comment of like, I wonder if he's using the same wind we're using. Like <laughs> it's just it's it's just so funny because obviously he is, and that's why your guys aren't being able to escape him. But it's just it's just that that kind of like sly little oh the kind of humor that that pops in or the like when he's when he's giving his his whole like backstory to wesley about like his father and getting the slashes on his face and you know how that kind of made him want to do pursue fencing and all of this stuff and he's like it's been 20 years now i'm starting to lose confidence like it's this <laughs> line like where it's so funny because it deflates that sort of like heroic story that these fantasy novels are always about where it's like something traumatic happens as a kid and now they're spending their life trying to avenge their family or something and then he's like oh i'm i don't think it's actually going to happen <laughs> it's it just deflates that that heroic story and it, it's moments like that that i think are so brilliant about this script yeah, I agree completely. It's, um, yeah, the, the, I don't think I'll ever grow tired of it. That's for sure. Now, when I was a kid and I saw this movie, um, I, I had a realization about mm, two minutes into the movie this time <laughs> where I was like, oh, I think this might be the movie that I realized I liked boys. Because when, <laughs> when Wesley comes on the screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, Carrie always, he was really <laughs> an attractive young man. He's still an attractive older man. He's in he, the oh, he latest, latest Black Christmas movie. Like, damn. Yeah. But that was that was like my realization is like, oh, because, you know, it's been kind of this thing on, on Twitter. Like, who, who was your first uh, cinematic crush? And I never really knew. Like, I, I could never really answer that question until just now I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was probably Wesley. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Not a bad first cinematic Not crush, though. He's, <laughs> He's everyone so in this movie's hot. Sorry, yeah. but it's true. Um, I also quote this movie all the time. I don't know if you guys do, but my oh. partner and I constantly say, and the but the one the peanut constantly. <laughs> if anyone constantly. says I need it, you can't not say that. You can't not like it is so we talked about this already, but like this movie is just like in my subconscious. Like it's just like ingrained in my brain. I wonder if that peanut joke was ADR because it's on the back of the ship as they're sailing away. Yeah. Because like, like, I never they... caught the rhyming part. I always yeah. like didn't understand the end of better got a peanut. I was like, oh, they're <laughs> rhyming. They're getting oh, they're like making fun of him. I, you know. 
Yeah. And good, and good for them for keeping Andre the Giant's voice because he was hard to understand, especially as a kid with his thick accent. And, yeah. But they just they I, went with it. That's one of the, the benefits of, of – of, technology today is that like i get turned on subtitles because there were things that are said in this movie that for years i never i never really understood what was what was being said like it wasn't until uh, you know mary beth kind of quoted the vizzini line about the hippopotamic landmass i'm like i don't have no idea what he is saying and now i could pause it and i could write that line down because it just there's there's so many little throwaway lines and so many thick accents in this that like it sometimes is especially when you're a kid hard to like figure out what is actually being said well, I'm going to say something amazing that I found out oh, recently yeah. is What's that, that? like this has just been a movie that exists. I never like looked into it as a film and like, you know, people made this movie. Oh, and then I start looking up. Uh, obviously, Rob Reiner directed it. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. He had the most incredible stretch of movies anyone's ever had with Princess Bride right there in the middle. Uh, let me let me pull it up here so I don't get yeah. the order wrong. So. This is Spinal Tap, 1984. Mm. Uh, the sure thing. I don't think I saw that one. But after that, he did like the best version of every genre. Stand By Me, like oh, the wow, best yeah. coming of age story. Then Princess Bride. Then When Harry Met Sally. And then Misery. And then A Few Good Men. I didn't realize every Rob Reiner directed Misery. Isn't that crazy? That is... That's insane! He, every single genre, he just knocked out of the park, one after another. That's that's wow. wild. I mean, and then his, you know, his, his filmography continued, and he had he oh, did for some sure. really... He's but yeah, some great that, movies, but that, that stretch, 80s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I never really thought about it. I completely, I like Mary Beth, I completely forgot that he did Misery, but man... Uh, two really fantastic adaptations of a Steen, of a, a Stephen King work right there. I, I do have a question. Um, if you grew up in, in the 80s, I felt like the 80s were a time for fantasy movies as well. Were you a fantasy fan? Not so much, actually. No? Okay. I, uh, I've watched them. I, I do. I've, there's some fantasy ones that I like, but I was never I never really got into like, you know, the Star Wars and things. Right. Um, and I think that's just because I was watching, you know, as I said, these, these scary movies or action films with my dad. Yeah. Like I, I watched the lethal weapon trilogy a lot when I was, you know, in the eighties, as opposed to pulling up star Wars. I, yeah. I'm not sure why I, I watched them and enjoyed them, but it never, uh, never seeped into my, uh, I don't know, just, it, it never became my thing, I guess. Yeah. Cause like when, when I, I, cause I remember so many of at that time you would have like the, well, Disney was doing the dragon slayer and then you would have like, uh, the sword and the sorceress and there was like so many of those type of like conan conan the barbarian and willow the beast oh willow i oh, willow i get willow and the princess bride not next necessarily mixed up they came out one year after the other but like when i think of movies that i loved as a kid that are like kind of freaky i think of the princess bride and willow yeah. and, then, and then i put never ending story in that category too oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's just there. There was so many of those at that at that time, and like it really fostered my my love of both like horror because those fantasy not movies definitely like had ties in with with horror, and and this movie does as well. You know the, the it's like moments. There are specific like set pieces. There's the shrieking eels, which I think still look good today. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be honest when they're like slithering yeah. in the water. It's still like I was like, oh, that's actually a really effective use of practical effects right there. <laughs> Yeah. Seriously. The practical effects actually are really good in this movie, too. Like, the rodents of unusual size. Like, I know they kind of look cheesy, but also, like, not not bad. Yeah. No, I I could definitely tell this time that that it was a man walking on all fours in, like, a a giant... (laughs) rat soup but like it was like it it looks good and it, it's it's very convincing that whole the fire swamp is actually a really good set piece i think for, for both is a... kind of humor but also like horror yeah for the, sure when he's prying the the rodent's jaws open as it's like mm. tongue is going crazy at his face that was that's that's terrifying that's still scary i don't care how much it looks like a puppet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree now i i feel like this has kind of gone out of trend anymore but were either of you terrified of randomly walking into quicksand as a kid? Absolutely. <laughs> Have you seen the John Mulaney bit about this? 
No, I haven't. Oh my god, he talks about how like was anyone else's childhood or fear or like irrational fear quicksand, and then he's like, and then you grow up, and quicksand isn't even a problem. It's just like a very funny bit about this, about like how in a lot of movies that we watch as kids, it was like quicksand was like the end all be all, but then you grow up and you're like, wait, there's no, there's no quicksand anywhere. (laughs) Like it's not really a problem you have to worry about. I wonder how they did the quicksand in Princess Bride because it's just. I always wonder. Like, I, yeah. most of it looks like it's obviously just dirty water, but in Princess Bride, it's sand, and he dives in head first. I have no idea what was under there. I This also made me terrified, because I, I have, like, the the fact of, like, suffocating on sand really upset me, um, and still does. So, like, when they came out covered in sand and, like, puffing out of their mouths, I was like, absolutely not. Like, it scared me more than the rodents. I was like, absolutely not. Like, that sounds like the worst way to die. I want nothing to do with that. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, 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 as I sometimes do on this show, like the moment something gets stuck in my head. So I went down like on a on a rabbit hole of, of movies with quicksand, <laughs> and apparently there was like uh, the percentage of movies like there. Uh, there's a Slate article, <laughs> and they Amazing. have like a, they have a graph that of course is made out of sand that um is like the percent of movies that have quicksand and like, I mean we're talking like three percent at the heyday, but like. 1960s 19 between 1950s and 1960s it was at three percent of all movies had (laughs) had quicksand in it and then when we get into the 80s we're at the sharp drop off of like less than one percent and it it like continued downward from there and the article was talking about how like the the peak of it was was like when well when we were watching these movies like the never-ending story with the swamps of sadness and and here in in princess bride and like even in video games, like dodging like deadly tar and pitfall, like that was sort of like the the kind of the the tail end of movies with quicksand. And how you don't see them in movies anymore unless it's a joke about <laughs> how dumb it is. Yeah, maybe we should bring it back. I think so. I think so. Uh, next, next, uh, next horror movie you write should be yeah. uh, quicksand. Exclusively takes place in quicksand. <laughs> <laughs> exclusively. Talk it's about like, like a slow burn movie, right? Or it's a, a slow sink. <laughs> It's like buried, but they're just standing there going down slowly for an hour and a half. It's a ticking clock. It is a ticking clock, <laughs> you know, tick- you know, like a bomb, like, in, you know, just like a, a single location, isolated horror movie where it's like, oh, gosh, how am I going to get out of this? And I only have like an hour before it's, I'm totally it's, sunk. I think this not, could work. It's not a great idea, but it's definitely an idea. <laughs> The other part that really fucking freaked me out was the pit of despair with that machine. Oh, that yeah. I was just like, I think it confused me so much as a kid. I was like, what is going on? And this can happen? Like, I was convinced it was real. Um, yeah. Duh. I, I, so what's what's your theory? Did he have 50 years of his life sucked away or did the Miracle Max pill give it back? You know... I was so focused on the fact that it sucked life away that I think I always thought it did. So that's how I'm, that's how I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that. It did. This bothered me a lot when I was young, but I've recently decided that the Miracle Max pill fixed everything. Oh yeah. That, yeah. That's always been my, my it, Miracle Max. I love him, Billy Crystal. And I love, uh, I love that his wife is played by, uh, oh gosh. Carol Kane. Carol Kane. I love her. I love her so much. And I forgot she was in this. And so when she comes running in the sea and I just started like laughing immediately. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. <laughs> the other thing about the pit of despair that really freaked me out was not like the the albino man that was helping, but it was the ma- the six fingered man. Like yeah. there's something about him that is like so cruel and sinister. And I think that's what I like in villains in movies like this that are like, they look very like suave, but are actually humongous assholes. Um, <laughs> and yes, Humperdinck is played by the lovely Chris Sarandon, but mm. there's something about the six fingered man that just really put me on edge and, and still kind of does. It's, Anyway, and the fact that yeah, he invented a machine that could suck years out of your life was just like horrifying. Was, that was uh, that was quite the actor to put in a, a movie that was this silly. But I guess yes. the whole cast was just like they they walked that line so well. The cast is stacked. Yeah, it's such a good cast. But yeah, this movie scared me more than I thought. Like like in watching it and remembering it, like I forgot how many parts of this comedy really kind of like scared the shit out of me <laughs> yeah i 
Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, I, gosh, I'm just gonna keep saying yeah, so someone else <laughs> pop in. I also will say, this is me just saying what I liked about this movie. It's like hard to have any kind of analysis at this point, but Mandy Patankin, mm. everything to me. My favorite part of this movie is this the sword fight between him and Wesley. The fight choreography in this film is so good. When he jumps onto that um like that bar and he swings around it a bunch of times, I and then jumps off of like jumps off of it. I always wanted to do that. Like I wanted to be a gymnast because of that part in the movie. Oh, yeah. I wanted so badly. And then I never did. But you know <laughs> It's such a convenient bar, too. Right? It's <laughs> just right like there. Like, there. oh, yep, it's there. And, like, there's no reason for him to swing like that. But, like, it's just so showy and ridiculous. And it's amazing. Like, this is just, we talked about this, but, like, the way it just pokes fun at the theatrics of fantasy movies is just so yeah. good. Uh, Keith, my, my writer, um, recently introduced me to a movie called Jim Cotta. Uh, which similarly, it's about a gymnast who becomes some sort of warrior, and there's a convenient pommel horse in the middle of town that he can have a fight scene on. Oh, you know the if casual pommel horse in the if middle you of town. Seen Jim Cotta? It's a it's a real treat if you like those kind of things. I have not, but now I will. <laughs> you know, kind of going along with with the dueling. One of the things that I really noticed this time is how this movie is kind of a musical without singing, oh. because everything that Everything is tied to the action. It's almost I, I and I started pick, picking it up with the the dueling sword fight, the one that you're talking about between um, Inigo and and Wesley, where it's like the music accompanies the ting ting whiff of like them, you know, mm. like attacking each other. And like there's a part where as they're getting more into it, the music is building, building, building. And then when the the sword goes flying in the air and he does the move and he goes to grab it, like the music just cuts out. It's like, it's like holding its breath for him to see if he's going to catch his sword and then it picks up again. And then it's, it's going again. But like the music becomes almost a sound effect in this, in this, uh, in this movie to the, to the same degree of like watching or reading like a comic book with like the zoom pow and biff, mm. the music accentuates that. And I started to pick it up this time of just how ingrained it is with the action in such a, a delightful way that might you might i mean i i obviously missed for <laughs> however many years yeah you're right yeah. that's um yeah I've, I've never consciously thought about that but that's a that's a great analysis of it it's i wonder if it's because it's a movie of the 80s because that was probably a little more on trend in the uh you know 60s and 70s when the music mm. stings hit you know comedic beats or dramatic beats um but it's done really, really well in this movie. Well, and the music is done by Mark Knopfler, who started the band Dire Straits in 1977. Oh, Ooh, how about that? Didn't know yeah. that. And he <laughs> did know. the music with this. And I, I just thought that was kind of because I was like, I was like, I don't know who this person is. And I started looking through his filmography and it was all a bunch of uh, Dire Straits music video. Yeah, he, he huh. was he was in that band. I do want to talk about because, like, like you said, Mary Beth, like I, I, I kind of was talking to her offline. Is like, I my notes for this movie that I just wrote were a bunch of quotes. Like, this movie <laughs> is just it's it's so hard to to talk about because it's been it's. I mean, I think for all three of us, it's been like part of our life since before we probably even realized it. But I will say that you know, looking back on it and now, I do think uh, I. I feel bad for Buttercup because like her character's not exactly the most interesting character. She's Rude. reduced to like her irrational like tendency of like her answer to everything is like, I'm just going to go kill myself. <laughs> like that is like her answer to everything. It's not like I need to figure this out. It's like, Oh, Wesley's either going to a save me or B I'm going to kill myself. It's never, she's never empowered to like save herself. And she kind of reminds me of like the princess at the end of the castle in like Mario and Mario games where it's like, all she does is like she she has to be saved either a from a Bowser or in this case Humperdinck or b saved by <laughs> herself because she also kind of exacerbates situations like pushing Wesley down the hill and then rolling down immediately after him like there there's always that kind of stuff and so I that kind of like I guess looking back on it now I it kind of makes me sad that she doesn't really have much agency in the film yeah it's perhaps not the wokest of movies no <laughs> but yeah but at least she didn't i don't know there's a certain amount of bravery in 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 you know true love or nothing 
Maybe. Yeah. Can we, can yeah. we spin it that way? <laughs> well, I also, I mean, again, I'm going with this being kind of like a parody-ish of the, um, the fantasy genre. It's like they turned up the helpless princess to 11. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I can, I kind of see it that way as it being like a caricature of what a helpless princess is. She's like, I will kill myself for true love. Like constantly <laughs> like yelling that. And it's just like so over the top that it feels like it's parody to me. Yeah. It's, it, there's certainly that she, she's not taking me overly seriously to the character anyway. It's just very, uh, yeah, to to the extreme. The, and her uh, red dress. The, dress. the the red dress is my favorite part of as one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. <laughs> I think I I used to like I really love Princess Buttercup. I mean, I think I guess what I loved about her when I was a kid was like she was I perceived her as like sticking up to men and like trying to get what she like despite the motivation obviously being love it just feels like she was very quick to spit in the face of anyone who tried to fuck with her and while she was helpless i still saw her as that a little bit as a kid but that was also like i've realized more as i was older but i i liked her a lot when i watched it and didn't have any real idea of like what how many times does she go to suicide is it multiple times it's at least twice like it's because they're they're the first time um that i i know it is when like she's telling humperdinck like you know i'm gonna kill myself and he's like well can i at least be what can i can you please consider me as an alternative to suicide is his first like <laughs> comment to her and then the, the the second one that's it's actually it really makes me it made me laugh this time was when she's walking back with the king to her honeymoon suite and she's like she's like i just wanted to tell you that i really appreciate you and um this is going to be goodbye since i'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite (laughs) and his response is like won't that be nice because he's so old that he's not even paying attention (laughs) yeah the first the first time's a threat i don't think that counts as an attempt i think the first time's a threat and the, the time when she actually brings up the knife, I think we can count that as like a Romeo and Juliet type. Like, I'd, I'd rather be dead with my Wesley than alive here. Isn't that when he says that would be a perfectly awful waste of great breasts when she's about it's to stab herself? It's a perfect breast in this world. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yep. But uh, again, like all you can do is quote this movie. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And it's like, ugh. Um, well, and the cast is stacked with very funny people. Like going back to kind of Miracle Max, I love the exchange that he has with with Andre the Giant's character, where um, he's like, "I'll call the Brute Squad," and Andre's like, "I I'm on the Brute Squad," and he's like, "You are the Brute Squad." It's just like, <laughs> the way that that line just sort of plays out in, in threes of like, "Call on R." It just it's it, this movie is so it's so witty. <laughs> I, I remember reading somewhere that Billy Crystal and uh, Andre the Giant formed such a strong friendship making this movie that that's why he wrote the film My Giant, oh. uh, which oh. he later had to shoot with George Mirasan. I love that. Oh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, Terry, how many inconceivables <laughs> out of five do you give the Princess Bride? I mean, you know this. This is like I. I think this is a perfect movie in in some regards, um, and I it, it's really hard looking at these kinds of movies with any sort of um, analytical eye because it's been with us at least for me since before I could even really consciously remember horror movies or movies in general. So I, you know, this movie I, I got to give it five inconceivables, um, even though. You might not know what that word means <laughs> <laughs> or saying that word right or whatever the, the line is. Yeah, no, I, this movie's great. I love it. Even the, even with some of the the more like negative aspects, maybe that we look back on it now. I just I think I think it's a great movie. What about you, Mary Beth? Agreed. Five inconceivables out of five. The way it's just like been able to sit in my brain for so long and the way that it has had such a lasting impact on me as a film lover is just i don't know i also introduced me to the idea of meta um i think it was i was a kid i did not understand the fact that like the Mm. kid and the grandfather were not part of (laughs) the story i was like what's (laughs) happening here i do not understand so it taught me i think a lot about movies and what i love about movies and yeah so have you guys read the book no, I have I not. No, I didn't even know it was a book when I was a kid. I even though it's like structured as, as reading a book, but yeah, I've I've never read it either. I was just curious because it's written by the same guy that did the script. 
William Goldman. Oh, really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, so, Justin, you have the final word. What is your rating of The Princess Bride, and do you have any final thoughts? Oh, it's got to be five inconceivables out of five. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, all una- unanimous. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, I think... Uh, yeah, you guys said it perfectly. It's It's been around forever. If there are any flaws, I sure can't see them. Um, that's just, uh, this is part of what movies are to me. So uh, it's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for joining us to talk about The Princess Bride. Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you can share? Um, yeah, well, we've got uh, Anything for Jackson is on Shutter in mm-hmm. uh, the US, UK, Australia, New Zealand. Um, up in Canada, it's on Super Channel Fuse. Um, and coming up is uh, a whole bunch of meetings, and hopefully we're uh, we're into another horror movie very soon. Fingers um, crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers yeah, crossed. I'm, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter, just my name. And uh, yeah, I'm not very good at social media, but if people want to follow me, that's where you can find stuff out. Cool. Awesome. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Uh, what was your experience with The Princess Bride? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.